0: All right, we're talking about healthy habits in 2023. I wonder how your habits are going. I mean, you've made some decisions, hopefully at the beginning of the year, like we always do. Maybe it's exercise, maybe it's food, maybe it's shopping. And and I hope one of those habits that you've begun to practice is the reading of God's word every day or, more, you know, throughout the week that that's become a, a rhythm in your life. You're, it's, you're developing that habit, that's an important one. and And as we build on that habit, we come to this, Topic of prayer. Now, I want you to know that um, as we read the Gospels, we understand that Jesus would be the most healthiest person you could possibly imagine. He would be the epitome of spiritual health. And so as we talk about healthy habits, we're, of course, we're gonna look at Jesus and what, what did Jesus do? And, and what we find is in Mark one thirty five, I think it's up there, uh, we find that Jesus got up early while it was still very dark, departed and went out to a deserted place, and there he spent time in prayer. So at the, right at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, he's saying, this is the pattern of Jesus. He gets up early, it's dark, and he's praying somewhere. Now in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Jesus himself frequently withdrew to the wilderness and prayed. In Matthew 14, 23, it says, and after he sent the crowds away, this was after the, the feeding of the 5,000, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray, and when evening came, he was there alone. So we find Jesus throughout his life and ministry pulling away and praying, right? So, so he's a healthy, he is the healthiest person, man, uh, human being ever to live. And so we would model our healthy habits after Jesus. And he invites his disciples to experience this healthy habit. In fact, of all the things that the disciples would, would ask, this is the one thing they would say, Jesus, would you just teach us how to pray? They don't ask him, you know, would you, you know, how should we sing Jesus? How you know what translation should we use? You know, they're like, would you teach us how to pray? And so today I want to hone in on the, the Sermon on the Mount. But before we get there, understand even the secular studies would suggest to you and to me that there is value in prayer even though they can't quantify the spiritual component they would say yeah you know what it seems like people that pray have better health better just physically speaking a 2011 study found prayer can help reduce anger and aggression in a series of experiments in which participants either prayed for or thought about a stranger a person who angered them, or a friend in need, members of the prayer group were more likely to feel less anger and aggression after a provocation. Another study found that when dating and married partners prayed for one another, they tended to be less aggressive and more inclined to forgive. There you go. That's, that's, that'll save you a couple thousand dollars in marriage counseling right there if you take that one to, 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 to you know, practice, right? A Duke University study of up 4,000 people over age 64 found that those who prayed regularly had significantly lower blood pressure than those who prayed intermittently. Um, In studies at several medical centers, prayer had been shown to speed recovery from depression, stroke, hip surgery, rheumatoid arthritis, heart attacks, bypass surgery, and alcoholism. If you're a religious or a spiritual person and pray every day, there is now proof that you might be doing your brain and body a huge favor. According to a new study, spiritual or religious practice may fight off depression, particularly in people who are predisposed to the disease by thickening of the brain cortex. Okay, I know I'm getting you heavier, but just understand, the physical health world would say prayer is a good thing. This lady, she studied at uh, the Spiritual, Spirituality Mind-Body Institute at Teachers College in Columbia University. She said she found that people who valued their religion more and prayed regularly had thicker cortices than compared to those who did not. The thinning of the cortex, especially in certain areas of the brain, is an indicator of impending ill health, particularly due to depression. Thicker cortices indicated a lesser chance of suffering from depression, suggesting that prayer and sp- spirituality really does yield some stunning benefits to the human brain. In the UK-based study published in the British Journal of Health Psychology, it says praying can reduce your risk of developing depression and anxiety. It also found that you have a higher probability of being positive and less depressed if you prayed at a place of worship. All right, So if you just join me in prayer, boom, there you got some benefits coming (laughs) here. A study conducted by Dr. Andrew Newberg, Department of Psychiatry at the University of Pennsylvania, found that praying can actually boost the level of dopamine or the happy hormone in your brain, making you happier and more peaceful, and on and on it goes. So I'm just saying, from a purely secular level, they would say, it seems like people that pray and that go to church and pray tend to be healthier, live longer, not have high blood pressure, less depressed, and all this stuff. And so you wonder, maybe Jesus is on something here. And so he talks about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. This is a sermon given to his disciples, the people that are his followers. And he is reinterpreting the Jewish way of life for the follower of Jesus Christ. Because the Jews had a certain piety and religious practices, and Jesus says, yeah, that's the way I know you used to do it, but let me just reinterpret it for you. And so in chapter 6 of Matthew, verse 1, it says, Be careful not to display your righteousness merely to be seen by people. Otherwise, you will have no reward with your Father in heaven. Now, first off, Jesus is suggesting to us that there is reward for righteous living. But he's telling the Jews and, and now his disciples it's not about who's watching and, and how good you're doing that. It's about you and God. Righteous practices are between you and him. And, that, and that's, and, and, you know, th- this is how it works. The Jews would have these three kind of pious practices, uh, uh, giving, almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. And, and the Jews of Jesus' day would all, you know, make a show of it, would show how spiritual, how religious, how righteous they were. And Jesus is like, let me reinterpret this for you. Prayer is valuable, but not so that you can be seen and get the attention of people. So that's just the context of, of chapter six. As we enter it, he's just saying, this is not what it's about. God does reward righteous practices, but not when you're doing it for the people to see you do it. And then he gets to verse five. We'll jump ahead there and he talks about prayer. He says, whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray while standing in synagogues and on street corners so that people can see them. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward, okay? There was these set times of prayer in the Jewish calendar. And and it was like the people would plan their oh I gotta go, got to go on an errand and they're planning it just purposefully so that they could you know reach you know Main Street right when the time of prayer and they could stop and they could offer their prayers to God. Everyone could see them praying. And he's like, this is not what it's about. Sorry, we'll just go back to verse five. Keep us staying on verse five there, if you don't mind. Yeah. Just it's not about who's watching. We need to pray sincerely, realizing that it's between you. And God, you're not trying to get the attention of other people. He says that in verse 6. We'll jump ahead now. But whenever you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. We want to pray not just sincerely, but secretly. God rewards secret prayer. And in the ancient Palestinian house, there would be one closet that was lockable. And this is what he's talking about. Pray in secret. I was at college and and one of the guys talked about going into his closet to pray. And I thought, well, that's cool. So I thought, I'm going to try this. So I went into my closet to pray and it was small. And, um, And in my closet, of course, is my hamper, right? And and it wasn't a very spiritual time because I'm sitting there next to this, you know, hamper of dirty clothes, you know, sweaty soccer clothes, and I just, you know, socks and, you know, and all that. And I just, like, this is not a very spiritual I'm not getting drawn closer to God in the closet here, but, but it, was, it was the point. It was, yeah, you know, a secret place, uh, a quiet place. I mean, there was another guy in, in, the, in the dorm, and he would leave his door ajar and he would kneel on his bed and pray. So you look in his door, and you could see his legs there and you could hear him praying. And of course, he was drawing attention to himself. I discovered that there was this room at the back of the dorm. It was the furnace room. It was kind of a cinder block room with the boiler in it, and then it provided the heat for the dorm you could only access it from the outside, and, and in the outside, it, there was actually no public place that could see that door. There was a big row of trees there, and, and, and there was actually a guy who put a desk in there. I'm like, well, this is truly a secret place. No one can see you going, coming and going there. It's you, know, it, it's, it's, you know, there's no windows. People go, oh, look, there's Mike praying. I mean, so, so you know, you, you can find a secret place. It could be your car, it could be your office, it could be the garage, I, I don't know. But the point is, You're not doing it for others to see it. It's it's time between you and God. Pray secretly. Sanders has said, secrecy is the essence of true piety. He goes on in verse seven, and he says, and when you pray, do not babble repetitiously like the Gentiles, because they think that by their many words, they will be heard. Uh, Some... Some religious groups had these, you know, the longer I pray, the more times I repeat it, the better chance that God will hear it. It's kind of like your children, right? When, when they ask you something, you're like, no. And then they keep asking, no, no, no. And finally, they wear you down. Like, okay, go do it. You know, you, you're like, we think God is like that. We gotta just keep badgering him, badgering him, badgering him and keep repeating it. The more times he hears it, the better chance he's gonna listen. He's like, this is not how it works. We need to pray simply. God is not counting your words and saying, "Oh, you reached the thousand word. Now I'm starting to listen." Oh, two thousand. You know, it's not like that. My my dad would talk about his religious upbringing in a church that believed in repetitious prayer, and the liturgy often would would repeat this request for mercy. Hospital say in Ukraine, hospitable And they keep praying for mercy, 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 mercy. And my dad's like, We never seem to get it because we kept asking for it, kept asking for it, kept asking for it. A hundred times in the liturgy, we'd we keep praying for mercy, 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 mercy. And, and, then, and then he discovered the gospel of Jesus Christ that on the cross, we can discover God's mercy once and for all. And when we receive Jesus as our Savior, we, we, we receive God's mercy, and we don't need to keep asking for it. Our sin is dealt with, and we're forgiven, and we're established in relationship with Him. Pray simply. In seminary, I took a class on on prayer. It was an elective class. It was a two hour class on prayer. Uh, I think it was like a Wednesday to Friday. Like so, here I have you know like a ninety hour degree, and there's like a two hour elective class on prayer. It was kind of weird, but this brought this guy in from the states TW Hunt he'd wrote a book on prayer the doctrine of prayer so i was just waiting to see what TW would do when he came time to pray and so he would open okay let's open up the class in prayer right and he'd pray and it was like 15 10 15 seconds all right lord here we are, teach us, guide us in your truth, amen. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> and this is a guy that did all night prayer vigils. he prayed pray for, oh, throughout the night, you know, stay up till two, three in the morning, pray, you know, you know, all, you know in these 24-hour prayer cycles. He did all these crazy things back in Texas and, and in our class, it's like, okay, Lord, help us today, amen. You know, it's simple prayers. And then he gets to verse eight. He says, do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. You need to pray steadfastly. You don't need to keep repeating and keep asking and keep, you know, just pray simply and then pray steadfastly. He knows what you need, which is kind of weird. So like, why do we pray? If he knows what you need, why are we praying? That's a good question to ask. And I've asked that question myself. And it appears that God actually wants you to have a relationship with him. He doesn't want to give you a check so you can live the rest of your life. You know, here's, you know, here, here's, here's your, your, you know, your, your inheritance. Here, here's the big wad of cash. Just go live your life. He wants you to actually check in with him every day. He delights in that. You know, some of you are like that with your kids. You, you like to hear from them. You like to know what's going on in their life, your grandkids maybe. You know, a healthy relationship has that ongoing component of, communication and god invites us to pray he knows what we need and so we don't need to go on and on and on and on to describe what we need lord i need a new engine for my truck it's a 350 with a four barrel carburetor and you know how god i need that you know he doesn't need those details said, God, the truck ain't working and I can't get to work, so help me, Lord. And he'd be like, okay, I got you, yeah. I know what you got in there, 350, you know, differential, four-speed on the phone. He knows all those details. I, you know, I've been at prayer meetings where people are just going on. I mean, God knows all that, okay? Just, just get to the point already. Now, in your private time, you can do whatever you want, but this is what Jesus invites us to do. Just ask simply, but he knows. I mean, Elise and I were talking about this. We were talking about some of the stuff at New Life, some of the challenges. And you know what we did? We stopped, and we prayed for our church. We've done that many times, but that's what we did even just this weekend, because we're like, yeah, Lord, you know what we need. So now we're just humbly and simply asking for those things, um, for workers, for leaders, uh, for spiritual impact in our community. Lord, you, you know what we need. Help us. And then he gets to the model prayer in verse Nine. But before we get there, here, here's the healthy prayer of it. Sincerely. So I go back there. Sorry. Pray sincerely, pray secretly, pray simply, pray steadfastly. And then he says in verse 9, this then is how you should pray. So pray it this way. Uh, Matthew 6, verse 9. We'll go to the next verse there. Let's see. Uh, come in there. There we go. Our Father in heaven. We start out with this address. You know, I've, I've often prayed, and some people start praying, and there's like, oh, I need this, I need that, I need that. I'm like, who are you talking to? Like, are, are, you know, and, and, and here, Jesus, we're talking to the Father who is in heaven. And first and foremost, we have this relational connection with Him. In John 1, verse 12, He says, Those who received Him, those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become the children of God. So, having received Jesus Christ, having believed in His name, we become part of His family. And so, we can approach God in this familial sense. Not, oh, thou great, omnipotent, you know, sovereign, uh, you know, massive God in the universe who oversees all things. And I mean, he is that. But when Jesus teaches us to pray, the son of God teaches us to pray. He says, just talk to the father. But just in case you are tempted to get a little too colloquial with him, he is the father in heaven. Not the father on earth. He's not your buddy sitting next to you in the car. He, he is the almighty, exalted Lord, sovereignly ruling over the whole universe in heaven. He is a spiritual being. He is not confined to time, space, and matter like we are. Don't forget that. He is not your buddy in the sky. He is the almighty Father, the glorious Father, who sits enthroned in absolute holiness and splendor in the glories of heaven. And he looks down, and he, he delights to hear from you and me, tiny little specks of sand in the universe and God wants to hear from us. Isn't that amazing? Our Father in heaven. I mean, you know, I remember driving from Lloyd Minster to Southern Saskatchewan and my car broke down. And so I picked up the phone and I called my earthly father. Because, you know, we like to talk cars. And, Dad, this is what's happened. And and I could just hear how my earthly father wanted to help me but was incapable of helping me. Because he's 16 hours away in British Columbia and I'm here in bigger Saskatchewan at the beginning of a long weekend, you know, and the town is rolling up, literally the streets, ready to go to the lake, and I'm like, what am I supposed to do? My earthly father, while he had the will and the desire, did not have the capacity to help me in that moment, but my heavenly father could. Why? Because he wasn't confined to physical space or time or matter so I talked to him and he found me a new alternator and he found me a farmer guy to help me pick that thing up and set it up properly and he got me on the road. Our father in heaven. Unlimited resources, unlimited power, unlimited access and, and he just, he can help us whenever we need it. He is the father who's in heaven. And he says there uh, at the end of verse nine, may your name Be honored, or holy is your name. Or if you recited this like I did, hallowed be your name. And what he's saying is that is is that we are acknowledging that there is no one like you. You alone are the holy God, and that your name represents your complete holiness, and there is no one to compare to you. And we are praying that people would come to know and acknowledge and recognize that you are Lord of all. There's only one God, and that's you, and you are the Holy One. May we know you in that splendor and that beauty. May your name be honored. You understand, people are trying to make a name for themselves. That is the name of the game in our world today. Leave a, a legacy, you know, put your name onto some building and do, and do, and And we're tempted to be drawn into that. And, and the Lord's Prayer re, 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 you know, reorders our life and says, oh, no, we want your name to be memorialized. We want people to recognize your name. We want your name to stand and, to, and to, you know, to, to, to be given the honor and the, and the praise that is due unto it. He prays in verse 10, the beginning. Me. Your kingdom come. And of course, Jesus is talking, talking about the kingdom. The, the reality that, that he is the king and that he one day will rule. The kingdom begins with the cross and the resurrection and it, and it ends with, with Jesus returning and establishing a, a literal reign on this earth. And, and can you imagine everything that irritates you about life on earth right now will be rectified by Jesus every injustice, every greed, every selfish moment it will be revealed and Christ will reign in absolute righteousness and splendor and glory. He's like, we are praying for your kingdom to come. But of course, part of that prayer is that, that he would rule as king right now in our own hearts. That the principles and the values and the laws of your kingdom would be the ones which I live by. And that I would take the high road. Standard of Christ in my own life. I'm praying for your kingdom to come. That's like, be king in my life. And may your kingdom be established here on earth in your good time and in your good pleasure. Pink would say, We long to see the kingdom of grace extended and the kingdom of glory ushered in. God's plan will prevail and his ways are right. So you understand, okay? I'm praying this prayer. Like, If you have not started praying, this is a good place to start, just the Lord's Prayer. But as you pray this prayer, these things will come to mind and, and it will recalibrate your life. right? Because I think, I, I look at the trajectory of our world and I listen to older preachers especially and they're like, this is getting really bad. Oh, this is so horrible. This is nasty. It's awful. Oh, you know, will the church be standing in, in 10 years? And, and, and who knows? But when I pray the Lord's Prayer, and I pray this, may your kingdom come, I'm reminded that his plan will prevail in the end. All the people, the men and women and organizations and political structures and ideologies that seek to to cut down the truth about God and his word and Jesus Christ, ultimately all those will be destroyed and Christ will stand and reign and rule forever. So this reminds me, as bad as things may look, a better day is ahead. And because I have surrendered my life to the king, I will be part of his kingdom and I don't need to worry about the garbage I see in this world. It, it, it will bother me, but I'm like, no, I know where, how this will end and I can trust in him today. He ends with, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want your name to be honored and recognized. I want your kingdom to come. Now, I, I want your will to be done. In heaven, God says, I need this and it's done. He asks the angels to do this, they do it. He says, May we respond to you just like the angels in heaven with absolute, sincere, and loving obedience because we know you know what's right and is best for us. Right? I mean, a healthy child knows that when his parent asks him or her to do something, they're, they're, they're asking because they know what's best for them. Now, children that don't receive that instruction get in trouble, make bad decisions. And we as God's children do the same thing when God says, here, this is the right way, this is the best way, this is the way of blessing. Like, no, I want to do it this way. Guess what happens? We get in trouble. And so we begin to pray, Lord, may your will be done. May my will be an expression of your will. And we not find ourselves at all. Now you'll notice the beginning of the prayer, it's all about God. It's not about me or it's not about you. It's not about what I want, what I need. It's not my laundry list. Here, God, here's what I need which is like, Lord, it's you. It's you, your name, your kingdom, your will. And then after you've prayed those things, you're finally ready to get to your junk and your stuff and your needs. But maybe by the time you get to to the middle point of the prayer, your heart and your mind have changed. You're no longer thinking about yourself because the greatness of God's name, the wonder of his coming kingdom, the glory of, of his will, now brings you to the place of like, okay, now let's talk about me, but it seems so small in light of you. But as a father, he cares about your needs. So he invites you to bring those needs to him. You see this here in verse, uh, the next verse there. Give us today our daily bread. Now at the middle of the prayer, finally we're saying, here, here's what I need. Here's here, here, here's. I, I, my physical needs, oh Lord, would you provide for them? And, and he's saying it in, in a daily sense. He's not, Lord, would you give me enough bread to get me into retirement, to get to me into my 80s, my 90s? And, you know, would, you, would you help me build up my, you know, my, my, my RRSPs and all that? It's like, Lord, would you look after me today? Or, and maybe, maybe it's the bread for tomorrow, but it's not like we're looking for, for long-term bread here. This is not the way we're advised in financial counseling to live our lives. Give me today daily bread. It would remind the Jews of the wilderness when God led his people through the desert. And every day they got out of their tents and there's this stuff on the ground. And they would gather enough for that day. And they would go and they would cook it and eat it. And the next day they'd get up and guess what? It would go there again. The people that gathered tried to hoard it. They would wake up in the morning with worms and and moldy, stinky stuff in their tent. And God's like, You got to just trust me every day. So every day was was an act of faith. I'm going out there. Oh, there it is. God's provided. And this is what it's the continuation of that. Would you just look after me today, Lord? You know my physical needs. And so I'm just asking you to just look after me today. Most of us have not had that reality. Let's be honest. I've had friends from other countries that lived in this reality where their families woke up and were not sure, had no idea what the meal would be that day and discovered that God could provide daily bread or daily rice or daily beans, whatever it was, they manage, cornbread, or they just managed to find something and pull it together and feed the family. And I just, I'm like, wow, I, I've never lived like that. And I don't know many people in Canada who have, but there it is. He's like, this is the reality. In the ancient world, this was the reality. You worked, you got paid, you bought, you bought supplies, you fed your family, you worked, you got paid. You, you know, and that's, sometimes that was just the rhythm of life. And so you were so dependent on God, but he is able to provide even daily physical needs, but then he is also concerned about your spiritual needs. You see that in verse 12? He says, forgive us our debts or our sins. As we ourselves have forgiven our debtors, we have the spiritual need of God's forgiveness. Uh, C.S. Lewis was a scholar in, in, you know over in England and wrote a lot of books, the Chronicles of Narnia. He was going to this conference and they were asking this question what is what is unique? What is found in Christianity? Sorry, that is not found in any other religion. And all these scholars were debating. Wow, well, we're not sure, you know. And C.S. Lewis was late, and he shows up, and they're like, okay, Lewis, what do you think? He's like, oh, that's easy—the forgiveness of sins. It's the one thing that we have that no other religion has. And here in the in the Lord's Prayer, he says, "Forgive us our sins." And he says, the reality is, if you're forgiven, you will be a forgiver. If you've received God's mercy, you will be merciful. If you hold bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart, that means you haven't really got it yet. If you can't forgive people, then you haven't really received God's forgiveness. There's a whole parable about that in the Gospels, right? So, so, so you know, that's, that's, here's our spiritual needs. We need to be right with God. So you know my physical needs. You know my spiritual needs. I, I, I need forgiveness because I, I, I miss it. I blow, the, blow it. I, I, I failed, but I, I, I pray for your forgiveness and help me to forgive others. Yes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna extend the mercy to others as you've extended it to me. And then he says there in verse 13, lead us not or do not lead us into temptation. It's not that God tempts us to evil. That's really clear in the scriptures. That doesn't happen. But here he's praying, Lord, help me as I navigate this messed up, sinful, broken world not to fall into the ditch because I'm always getting drawn off. I mean, some of you had that experience driving to church today, right? It's slushy. It's like, whoo, this is kind of nasty out here, you know? That's life sometimes. We're walking through the the muck, the slime, the the, the slush, and we're like, oh, man, and, and we're praying, Lord, help me not to make a wrong turn and to overcompensate and to end up in the ditch. Help me, Lord. Don't. Let me fall into that temptation. Because I'm weak. You're weak. You make poor choices because you're weak. And you don't, you try to do it on your own strength and you fail. And as the Lord's Prayer reminds us, no, 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 God can help you in that. Try to do it on your own, it ain't gonna happen. That's why any kind of addictions program is a communal program, Why? Right? Because you, you need others' help. That's why we gather in the church, why? Because we need each other's help. You notice it's, it's us, lead us not into temptation. It's not me, it's not a private prayer. This is a corporate prayer. Lead, lead us not into temptation, help us, Lord. And when we see buddy or sister so-and-so steering towards the ditch, we, we, you know, we grab the steering wheel and say, no, 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 get, get don't do that. In the same line, he says, Inver- the next part, but deliver us from the evil one or from evil. Yeah, there is an enemy of God, the devil, Satan, and his cohorts who would seek to have you be ineffective in your walk with him or not have a walk with him. He'd love for you to just be stuck in sin, selfish, isolated, alone, He just would love to have you be trapped in bondage And the prayer of the Lord's prayers, but deliver us from from the evil one, from evil. We recognize that that he's out there and he just loves it when we fail and we fall and we stay isolated and we stay hurt and we stay in our sin. Keep us from temptation and deliver us from evil. He's all around us. We, We see it. On the TV and, and, the, and the music we listen to, it's always there. The people that you work with, yeah. There's just this, 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 this stuff all around you. But keep us from that stuff, Lord, from the evil one. And then he ends. And this is not in every translation of the Bible, but I believe it's true and right. So for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now I was praying this prayer with my boy (laughs) at a soccer game because his school, they would do this before the game. They would gather in the center and pray the two teams together the Lord's Prayer. But there's certain tradition didn't pray this part, so I'm praying the Lord's prayer with the kids with gusto, and it gets to this part, and suddenly I'm praying solo. For yours is there. and then no one else is praying. Why? Because they don't obviously believe that this verse is there, but this ends the prayer, I think, with the pra- proper focus, right? We've prayed for his name, his kingdom, his will. we prayed for our physical needs, our spiritual needs, and now we're ending back with God. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory forever and ever Oh, Amen. if you have not started to pray, I'm inviting you to just begin praying the Lord's Prayer. You should pray when you wake up. Pray before you go to bed. But then as you pray it, you might be thinking about some of these things and that might bring other things to mind and you might expand your prayer. But even if you don't pray anything else, start here and work from here up you know, into other prayers. But this is a great place to start. The Lord's Prayer. It's a healthy habit. It's a pattern which Guides us towards God. He invites us to seek him. We put him first, number one, two, three, and then we bring our stuff to him, four, five, six. His name, his kingdom, his will, my physical needs, my spiritual needs, my protection. And now to him be the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I invite you to begin this prayer. Now, it's pretty clear. This prayer makes no sense if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. It'll just be rote words like Jesus talked about. But having come to believe in Jesus Christ, this prayer will make a difference. In the early church, apparently, in the first couple centuries there, they would often have two areas in the church before they would go to communion, they, they would, the, the catechumens, those that were preparing to be baptized and become fully followers of Jesus, were, were excused. And then those who were the, the, the you know, confessed believers would, would celebrate communion and the Lord's Prayer together. They weren't, the, the, the catechumens were not allowed to recite the Lord's Prayer. Now, I'm not going to say that. I think even unbelievers can say this prayer, but it won't really mean anything until you become a follower of Jesus Christ. But this could lead you to become a follower of Jesus Christ. If you've not already done so, he invites us to pray. So as a team comes up and prepares to lead us in our final song, I'm gonna invite you to stand with me and we are going to pray the Lord's Prayer. And we're gonna pray it in the old style. I'm sorry, but this is the one that all of us over 40 learned (laughs) when we were young. If you don't know it in the King James, then you can just listen along. But would you pray with me? Stand with me, please. God deserves our respect and our honor, and part of that is us standing and, and giving it to him in this moment. And let us pray the Lord's Prayer, and then the team will close us in, in a song. Let's, let's pray together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us our sickness and as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever.